Did you know that every major diaper company either financially or vocally supports abortion? If that appalls you and you're looking to support a baby brand that aligns with your pro-life, pro-family views, then every life is your solution. Every life firmly believes that regardless of where someone is from, what they look like, or whether they were planned or unplanned, every baby is a miracle from God worthy of love, protection, and celebration. Every Life offers high-performing, supremely soft, premium diapers and wipes delivered right to your doorstep. Their diapers are crafted without fragrances, dyes, lotions, latex, parabens, or phthalates. And you can feel good knowing that every purchase with Every Life contributes to changing lives through their support of pro-life organizations and pregnancy resource centers. Every Life is not just changing diapers, they're changing lives. Visit everylife.com to learn more. That's everylife.com. And don't forget to use promo code Duffy10 for an exclusive 10% discount on your first order today. Hey, everyone. Welcome to From the Kitchen Table. I'm your host, Sean Duffy, along with my co-host for the podcast, but also my partner in life, Rachel Campos-Duffy. Thank you, Sean. I'm so glad to be back with everybody at our kitchen table. These conversations are so great. And we're talking a lot these days, you and I, Sean, about the protests in the Netherlands, the Dutch farmer protests. But there's not a whole lot of news here in the United States about it. So we thought we'd bring in someone who our listeners may be familiar with. She's been on Tucker quite a few times. Um, she's a political commentator. She's a legal philosopher. Her name is Ava Landinger Brook. Ava, tell me if that's right. Uh, Landinger Brook, but I know Got it's it. hard. I, it's I don't blame you at all. <laughs> all right. Okay. Well, you've been covering the Dutch farmers protests and that's why we're bringing you on. Cause I don't know anyone who probably knows as much about it as you. And so why don't we just get right into it and tell us what's going on? What do we not know about it, about it here in the United States? Sure. Yes. I'll just give your listeners the basic rundown of what our government is doing, because it's a complicated story, but at the end of the day, it's what's happening is, is very easy to understand, I feel like, for most people. So the government in the Netherlands is saying that we're dealing with a climate crisis and that nitrogen and ammonia emissions are too high in our tiny little country, the Netherlands. Um, my country, although it's great in spirit, is very, very small. But according to our government, we have a very bad uh, nitrogen crisis that needs to be tackled. And so what they're saying is that by 2030, 50% of our nitrogen emissions have to go down. And they're targeting our farmers directly for that. So they're saying that our farmers are a big contributor and that they need to be cut. And well, what they're doing is saying, basically, you farmers need to give up your land. You need to stop, uh, especially the cattle farmers, to, to, em to emit all this nitrogen. And you have to give us your land and just basically give up your entire life's work. So that's the basic rundown of what our government is doing. They're saying, you guys are part of a problem. You need to give up your land and you need to give us your property. So, so Ava, so, so Ava I, mean, I, think, I find that fascinating. Is there, are you seeing environmental impacts from nitrogen? Have people's lives changed because of nitrogen in the Netherlands? Is this a, is this a, a big problem? 
No, not at all. This is a made-up crisis. Uh, it's not something that anyone could ever see. Uh, it's also, I mean, we've had, heard a lot of talk, obviously, about carbon emissions, but now nitrogen is a new one that suddenly is a big problem. And instead of going after, for example, the airlines, you know, other big industries that actually are big contributors in the emission of nitrogen, they're coming after our farmers specifically. So that should tell you enough uh, that this is not about an actual crisis or an actual climate crisis. It's about targeting the farmer specifically. And there are a lot of reasons for that. Um, the Netherlands, like I said, is a very tiny country. And a lot of the land in our, our tiny country is actually owned by farmers. We are the second largest agricultural producer in the world, right after you guys, right after the Americans. So that's, it's a huge industry it's for huge. us. And think about how small you are. I mean, you're, I think, I heard that your country is about the size of Indiana um, for right. our, our listeners. And so, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's that's an amazing amount of production for such a tiny country. It seems like it's very efficient farming, actually. It's very efficient farming. Uh, a lot of these people, you know, that run these, these businesses, they're family businesses. So, you know, these are not people that started farming um, somewhere during the course of their life. Oftentimes, these are, these are businesses that have been in their family for centuries on end. So this is not just, you know, their livelihood, but it's also their heritage. It's their history. It's something that has been in their family for, like I said, centuries on end oftentimes. And now suddenly they are losing it because of these ridiculous restrictions that are not actually because of something like nitrogen. You know, the, the real reason the government wants this is because they take up so much of the land and they want it for other purposes. Uh, so, for example, one of the reasons that we see in the actual state documentation as to why they want the, the farmer's land is because they need it for houses. So we have a housing crisis and that is not because the Dutch population is naturally growing so much, but that's because we've had open border policies for the longest time. So we have a lot of immigration coming to the Netherlands and we just frankly don't have space to house these new people. So the government needs the, the farmer's land to build new houses to house all of these newcomers. That's one of the reasons. And the other reason that I see and a lot of people now see uh, as to why the government is doing this is that because these farmers are so successful, they are obviously very independent from the state. Mm. They produce yeah. the food. Uh, they have cattle, they are hardworking, they are not very easy to control. And if you have a, a government, a state that is hungry for more power, then what better way to control people than to be able to control the food supply, right? So that's what is happening here. It's part of the, again, 2030 agenda. This, all of these things need to be done before 2030. That rings a bell. It's part right. of the Great Reset. It's European Union. It's a globalist agenda that we basically are a pilot country for. So I, I want to get into to the twenty the twenty thirty agenda because people a lot of people don't know about that agenda coming from the UN and, and the Great Reset and I want to talk about this because I do believe you that it is tied to this, but first because you're you understand the law in Netherlands you're a legal philosopher what what is what are the laws about taking the land I mean I I try to picture this in the United States and I really can't like I our laws our property rights. I can't picture that this could be a real threat here in the United States um, in terms of the legality of it. What does the law say about the government being able to take um, or confiscate the land? Because that sounds pretty communist. 
It is, yeah, exactly. It is. And you're right to, to draw the comparison and say, well, this sounds like something that would be impossible in America. Well, it's not so impossible for us because we don't have uh, a constitution that protects uh, property rights or even, you know, just something like the Second Amendment is something that we don't have. So the idea that the government's not your friend is not something that's very apparent to a lot of people in Europe, I feel like, and especially not in a historically very pacifist country like the Netherlands. So people aren't too skeptical or distrusting, I would say, historically speaking, of the government. And that's reflected in in our laws. So, for example, now what they're doing is something that they've done with during COVID as well. They say there is a crisis and this crisis trumps your right to X. Let's say in this case, it's property. Right. So this is and this, again, is a law that comes not from the Dutch government directly, but they're following regulations and restrictions coming from a from the European Union. And that law, even though. We never voted for it. The Dutch people never had anything to say about it. It has direct effect in our legal system. So just imagine, you know, there are people that you that you never voted for who on a, again, supranational level are deciding for you what you need to be doing in your country. So on the basis of those regulations, the government is expropriating Dutch farmers and basically saying, you need to sell us your land because of this, this climate crisis. And the Dutch farmers have no way of legally actually going against that. They are forced to indeed comply and, and force, forced to sell their land for obviously very bad rates, not market standard rates. So it's theft. I, I can't really name it any other, other thing. It is, it is actual theft and it sounds communist because it is. It's, it's the idea of giving up private property in the name of a greater good. And in this case, they decided it's climate change. So, Abel, talk to me about, again, the legal, I, was, I was in Congress in the U.S. for, for nine years. Um, talk to me about where the people are at in the Netherlands. Where is the leadership? Where is the assembly? Where, where is your prime minister? Are, are, are they in lockstep with th- this EU vote that we should, we should reduce nitrogen levels and therefore have the Dutch farmers give up their land? Or are they standing with the farmers? And that's the first question, and I hate to ask you two-part questions, but the second part, is there anything you guys can do? If there's an uprising, you know, in the Netherlands, can you, can you stop this from happening? Or is this totally out of your control because the EU has mandated it and you're part of the EU? No, I will answer both your questions with, with one answer. So what you're seeing in my country is a split down the middle between people who basically either follow the establishment and are the establishment, those people are in favor of all of this and the people who are skeptical of the establishment. And that's basically, I would say, what divides these two groups. It's not necessarily a matter of left wing or right wing, so to say, because uh, officially speaking, our prime minister, Mark Rutte, is the leader of a somewhat right wing, at least capitalist, neoliberal, you could say, party. So it's, you know, that would be confusing for people to think, why is a right wing government doing this? Well, he's not right wing. He's a globalist. This man's involved uh, Mm. very deeply in the World Economic Forum. You can see him shake hands with people like Trudeau and and Klaus Schwab all the time. And he's very happy around those people. And he's known to, to push for these types of laws and for, again, these types of agendas rather than what you would expect from a right wing politician in the Netherlands. But this man doesn't care about the Dutch interest. He doesn't care about the Dutch people. He cares about his own position in these international globalist institutions. And so the Dutch state 
and the Dutch coalitions, they're all on board with this. So, you know, this is really something that the establishment is pushing for. But the Dutch people and the Dutch farmers uh, are resisting it. And the Dutch farmers have are basically, I would say, the only group in the Netherlands that have the manpower to really put up a significant fight. And they have been doing so for the past. I think we're, this has been going on for two, two and a half weeks now. So it started out with them. Uh, the farmers blocking distribution centers, they blocked the, the freeways, and that immediately caused uh, food shortages in the supermarkets in the following days. So that was to show the Dutch population, like, hey, if you are doing this, if you are coming after us and you're forcing us to shut down or to have 50% of all Dutch farmers to be shut down, because that is realistically what's going to happen at the bare minimum when this goes through, then you will notice it because without farmers, there will be no food. That's what they tried to show the Dutch uh, uh, population. And they have now, I think the official polling is that there is 71% of the Dutch people support the Dutch farmers' cause. So again, the people uh, say that, who rule Say that number again. Say that number again for me. How many? 71% of the Dutch people. That's the official poll now. 71% of the Dutch people support the farmers. Yeah, so, I mean, I saw that Mick Jagger, who, by the way, is a, is a celebrity environmentalist. Um, he had a concert and and in the concert through through his support for the farmers. So, I mean, th- there seems to be a bit of a it, it, like you said, it doesn't cut down right or left. Um, it's even there's even environmentalists, celebrity ones like Jagger, who are saying this isn't fair what's happening. So I'm, I'm fascinated because I think you that your little country um, which seems so wonderful. The more I learn about the Netherlands, I'm so impressed. Um, you know, exports 97 billion euros worth of food products to other countries. And so you were talking about the impact of their protests on food supply in the Netherlands. But assuming that this goes through what the EU wants to do and farmer, the farming or the farmers are cut back by 50%, Will there be consequences for other countries? Because we're already seeing food supply strains because of Ukraine. There's problems in Argentina. Um, and right. as so often happens, Ava, you know, the third world poorest countries always suffer the most in these globalist schemes. Absolutely. Yes. And I, I mean, being or the, with the fact that we are the second largest producer, obviously, this will have, have effect not just on the Dutch population, but on other countries as well. So and, and that's something that is that people notice. And we now see that there are even though they're maybe not as not as coordinated and as big as in the Netherlands, but there are little uprisings going on in other countries in Europe. So, uh, for example, the German farmers along the border with the Dutch um, with the Dutch farmers are now are, are protesting as well. They're they're showing their solidarity and support because they know, again, this is not just something that is going to affect the Dutch. This is something that is at, down the line going to affect us when it comes to food production but also again it's it's a it's a globalist scheme these are these are supranational rules and regulations that are that are going to affect us at some point as well we're just first and i feel like that's something that people are starting to notice and you know just seeing the food shortages all around the world and like you said with ukraine and what's happening in sri lanka for example right now mm. i feel like people see that it's a very strange move you know that there there are there's already such a problem with the production worldwide why would you go and shut down farmers 
The only answer to that is that it's not about actual care for anything good. It's about control. And I feel like our governments have shown that agenda uh, plenty of times in the past two and a half years when it came to COVID, for example. And I feel like there are a lot of people that are actually waking up to that agenda right now. When you talk about control, it's, it's fascinating to me because, you know, I get the control aspect of, of governments in this global movement. But by way of food, if there's not enough food, it's one thing to go, I control the, all the food sources. But we're mm-hmm. talking, about, talking about not having enough food for the, for the, for, for the whole world. People are going to starve. People are going to die because there's not enough food to eat because of these policies that are being implemented. And I wonder if, I mean, this isn't really evil thing to say, but they're all concerned about overpopulation. Mm-hmm. Is this actually what they want as an outcome? Because again, it's a, it's a very, it's a very delicate balance, our global food supply. And you affect it in such profound ways. There will be, there will be profound impacts on those who need the resources of the exporting agriculture communities. Yeah, I think you can look at this in either two ways. You can either say, okay, there is a uh, there is actual malintent here. People are are trying to cause these these the establishment is trying to cause uh, food shortages, and with all of the consequences that that has, like you said, people will starve. Uh, that is either something that they're consciously doing, or it's something they're not consciously doing, but it is the foreseeable effect of their policy. So I don't really right. care if they do it on purpose or if they're too stupid or they see what's, you know, they, they're yeah. doing it anyway. Uh, it, it's clear that anyone with, with just some common sense and, and their head that's not in the sand, they can see that this is what's going to happen. So we can hold them accountable either way. So that's, that's yes. what I care about most point. here. Yeah, that's a great. In fact, UN Secretary General Antonio Gutierrez said in June that there are real risks of multiple famines in the world right now. Uh, he, he said that, that we're going to declare some more in 2022, 2023, that things are going to get worse on that. And, you know, we, we know also fertilizer costs are up. So it's not easy to be a farmer these days um, with what's happening in Russia and Ukraine. I mean, there's a lot of strains on on farmers and their costs. It, I, I'm with you 100 percent, Ava, when you say this is an extremely curious move, um, something you wouldn't want to do to the second largest producer of food. It just, it just boggles your mind. Um, I want to say this as well. Your former chairman of, of, of your country's national dairy association, he says that it's a small group of, of very, you know, left-wing vegetarians who are leading this. So, um, (laughs) other people are saying (laughs) House, the 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 immigrants, as you said, that there's a you know open border policy. You don't have enough land for housing. You have a housing crises. I mean, I suppose it could be all of those things. Sean and I just did a, a podcast the other day where I we were talking about. By the way, it, it, all this makes me nervous, Ava, because as you know, our own president um, is saying that we're having a climate emergency when um, you know nobody who is poll. I mean, there's not one poll. Who says that the American people believe that climate is an emergency right now? Um, I think it's right. only one percent. So there's a lot of weird stuff happening globally in in that regard, and it, it makes me nervous to see what's happening there because I guess I I agree with you. I I think that it just doesn't make sense. It, and 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 so let's go back to what you talked about with the Great Reset. And for those of our listeners who don't know who 
uh, Klaus Schwab is, who don't understand what the WEF is and what the UN 2030 is. Why don't you give us a little bit of background on that? Sure. Yeah, I'll I'll definitely do that. I think you touched on a lot of great points there that I think we should definitely talk about. What you said about both the the housing crisis and, let's say, the more left-wing vegetarian lobbying groups. Well, uh, another name that just magically appeared in this whole story again was Bill Gates. So that's something I want to tell you about as well, is that the the Dutch minister who is currently pushing this law, this nitrogen law, uh, she has a brother-in-law that owns a online supermarket that, you know, appeared during COVID and, and was just this supermarket that came to your door. So you didn't have to go there, you know, perfect. Again, great reset type of lifestyle. Um, and this supermarket had a $600 billion investment last year by none other than Bill Gates. So, you know, see the, see the corruption here. I mean, it's, it is just, it has it written all over it. A minister that is pushing for the destruction of our cattle farms, basically, and the expropriation of our farmers has a brother-in-law that has a supermarket that just received an investment from the man who wants you to eat fake meat, the man who wants you to eat bugs. I mean, it's just, it's so, it's so in front of our eyes, you know, it just, it boggles me that people don't see that. So I hey, think we just did a We just were talking that I, I lost my train of thought in my last question. That's where I was going to. We just did a, a podcast where we talked a little bit about how they are beginning to to um, have us transition away from a meat diet and towards, you know, a plant based diet. And in England, they're already having school children. Um, they're experimenting and with introducing, you know, insects and, and all vegetarian diets here in the United States. In many public schools, they have like a meatless Monday. Um, they're already beginning this transition of making people believe that they're, you know, more virtuous, you know, if they if they don't eat meat. And and that and and definitely you're right that Bill Gates has been saying this forever. And it's so comical because he looks to be to me one of the most unhealthy individuals I've ever seen. I think that there are, I mean, obviously I'm not a nutritionist, but I, I can read and I have common sense, and I do think that incorporating meat in your in your diet is a very wise thing to do um, and the fact that all these people that don't have my best interests at heart we know that for a fact just look at the way that they treated us over the past two and a half years I think they've showed their their true colors really when it came to the way that they treated us during COVID um, well those people telling me that I should be eating bugs doesn't make me think that I should be eating bugs <laughs> yet. They are the ones that are, that are, that now have all the power to implement these rules and to take away again, people's property. Uh, you know, th- this is if, if, just imagine that the, the state would come into your house and say, Hey, Rachel, I'm going to take away just 30% of everything you've ever worked for, because that's what's happening to the farmers that are subjected to these rules. And I, I do see a much bigger scheme uh, behind this. And, and, and there are a lot of lobby groups with a lot of financial interest involved. And for some reason, it just all ends up with you having to give up your rights, farmers having to stop their work, and, and with our kids and ourselves eating, eating bugs and synthetic meat. And I don't trust it for one bit. We'll have more of this conversation after this. Did you know that every major diaper company either financially or vocally supports abortion? If that appalls you and you're looking to support a baby brand that aligns with your pro-life, pro-family views, then every life is your solution. Every life firmly believes that regardless of where someone is from, 
what they look like, or whether they were planned or unplanned. Every baby is a miracle from God, worthy of love, protection, and celebration. Every Life offers high-performing, supremely soft, premium diapers and wipes delivered right to your doorstep. Their diapers are crafted without fragrances, dyes, lotions, latex, parabens, or phthalates. And you can feel good knowing that every purchase with Every Life contributes to changing lives through their support of pro-life organizations and pregnancy resource centers. Every Life is not just changing diapers, they're changing lives. Visit everylife.com to learn more. That's everylife.com. And don't forget to use promo code Duffy10 for an exclusive 10% discount on your first order today. You know, Ava, you, you probably aren't really thinking about the underserved and the poor and the transgender community who I'm sure <laughs> these policies are really going to help, right? That's what they, they keep telling us. Climate change affects, you know, the, the, the minority communities in America. Climate change affects transgenders at, at, a, at a higher rate than everyone else. That, that's the stupidity that we get uh, in our country. I'm not sure if you get it there. But you oftentimes yeah. talk about, and I think this is incredibly important, you talk about the Second Amendment in, in the United States. Mm-hmm. And, you, and, and you said it in this conversation, I've heard you say it on Tucker, and you say, don't give it up. And yes. we have these conversations in our country about who needs an assault rifle? We, you don't need that to go deer hunting. Uh, and, 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 and what happens is you, you, our founders in America didn't, didn't bring us the Second Amendment because we wanted to go hunting. They gave us the Second Amendment, so there was an equality of power, of balance between the people and their government. You look at what's happening right now in China. You have protesters who can't go withdraw money from the bank. Their bank accounts have been frozen, uh, which, by the way, we should all be concerned about uh, a national digital currency where you have no cash and the government controls it. That's a different podcast. But they have no means to fight back. They can use rocks and sticks while the government has tanks. This, and I'm not, I'm not a revolutionary by any stretch, but I'm saying there's a balance of power that comes when the citizenry have firearms to push back against a, a, a tyrannical government. And, and, the, and I think in our country, we're, we're losing sight of why our founders gave us a Second Amendment. And you can probably look at your own country and go, maybe it would be great if we did have a Second Amendment here. Where we, and again, I'm not advocating for any kind of anarchy. or But there is a balance that comes when you have you know, people who have the ability to push back and fight back against their government. Absolutely. I mean, from an outsider's perspective, being Dutch, not having a Second Amendment, when I look at you guys and, and when I look at your constitution and what your founding fathers intended with, with the Second Amendment for is, is this. It's you have the means to stand up against a tyrannical government and you you still understand the idea that the government might not be your friend, that there might be people infiltrating in this government, or even, like I said again, like what's happening in Europe, non-elected officials that are ruling your country that you had nothing to say about, that you can't defend yourself against the moment they start to use violence against you, because that happened with the farmers. And, and we saw this, so that they were doing all of this great, brave, courageous protest. But the moment the police comes in, with arms and shoots, which is actually what they did. They shot at a 16-year-old boy that was driving away from the protest. Then you stand defenseless. And that's why I, from an outsider's perspective, being in America sometimes, I tell people, please see why you have this. It's so important that you safeguard it because we don't stand a chance. At the end of the day, you can protest all you want, but you don't stand a chance when they bring out the big guns. But the thing is, is that I think Western tyranny or globalist tyranny 
wants you to believe that that's not what they'll do. So that's why they're bringing out all the pretty words. That's why they're saying this is for your own best interest. They're doing this to fight a crisis. You know, if we don't do this, everyone's going to die because of the climate. If we don't take your rights away, everyone is going to die of COVID. You know, they'll always come up with a crisis, oftentimes a made-up crisis that justifies, so to say, their power grab. That's the tactic. That's what they do. And if you don't see that, then it's going to happen and it's going to be too late before you realize we need to do something against this. And, And even for people now waking up, if you don't have the means to defend yourself, the future looks grim. So that's what I'll say about it. I feel like America has a much better fighting chance when it comes to this than Europe does, for sure, because of the Second Amendment. And Sean, you keep saying, you know, I'm not for revolution. I mean, there is a time and a place for revolution. But again, it goes back to what Ronald Reagan said. There's peace through through strength. Right. And I think what restrains are the bad elements in the government, people who might want to do harm, as Ava talks about, uh, people who don't have the interests of the people at heart. What restrains them is the fact that we are armed <laughs> and um, and that's why they want to disarm us. And so your prime minister is on record calling the farmers ass and accusing them of being violent. When, as you said, the only person who was shot at was a young boy by the government, um, by police. So uh, you're, you're absolutely right about that. So um, you also talked about elements that infiltrate. So you would think you have this democracy or a democratic republic as we have here. Uh, But there are forces, globalist forces that are infiltrating and it's not a secret conspiracy theory. I mean, you can go on social media. I just pulled up a clip of Klaus Schwab bragging in uh, one of these, you know, know, World Economic Forum uh, Q and A's where he's bragging about how many young leaders have come through their WEF program and how many are, are not just installed as prime ministers, whether it's, you know, Trudeau, um, uh, Macron, uh, I mean, they're all over, right? Our, the, the president of Argentina, they're all over. But he brags about how many of the cabinets are almost, you know, more than half full of people who are more committed to these globalist WEF policies than they are to the nationalist national interests of their country. And I have to say, um, when I mention our names like Mrs. Merkel, um, even uh, Vladimir Putin and so on, they all have been young global leaders of the World Economic Forum. Mm-hmm. But um, what we are very proud of now, the young generation like uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, um, President of, Brez- of uh, Argentina and so on, that we penetrate the cabinets. So yesterday I was at a reception for Trudeau and I know that half of this cabinet or even more half of of this cabinet are actually young global leaders of the world economy. So maybe this might be a good time for you to talk a little bit about what that is, because I think I think you're right. I think COVID has really pulled the curtain back on this on Klaus Schwab, his movement within the WEF and what he's been working on since the 70s. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. Yeah. So 
what I think is really interesting to know or what I've noticed as a European here in America is that there are a lot of people who want you guys to believe that Europe for some reason is more democratic than America, which I find to be hilarious and, and sad to hear, to be honest, because my country, for example, we have uh, in the last elections, we had 37 parties that were running. That sounds like, and you know, I know old people say, oh, that's so much more democratic than when you have a two party system. Well, it's not when all of these people just, you know, have their, their election talks. And then at the end, when they're elected, they all throw their differences overboard and they turn out to be having the exact same agenda because they've all gone to the exact same talking clubs is what they call them, such as the World Economic Forum. And they follow a globalist line. So because that's what is happening for us. You know, you have basically just a play pretend show right before the elections where people pretend to have differences. These parties pretend to have differences and then they form a coalition. And suddenly it's it's all of these these agenda points that you can see in the 2030 agenda that you can see in in the in in the the, um, communication that they have with the World Economic Forum and in the EU. It's all the same type of globalist idea where. Again, global crises such as crises such as COVID or the climate, you know, are used as a cover up to implement policies on a national level without actually going through the national parliaments. So that happens with the World Economic Forum. Uh, You know, they say it's just a talking club, but yet we have all of these ministers and you have Klaus Schwab saying, like you said, we we penetrate the cabinets proudly. You know, that's highly anti-democratic, obviously. And an institution like the European Union makes, the, in the Netherlands, the majority of our laws. And, and that we, don't, we don't even choose these people, you know? So it's something that is happening on a, on a large scale. And they have a lot of say in our, in our everyday life, basically. Well, like I said, even something like, like this, where it's about your own property that's taken away under the guise of a made-up crisis that happens uh, and it happened with covid uh, with with the the restriction of movement in the european union not being able to travel if you were unvaccinated all of that came from international policies out of these institutions that wasn't decided by the dutch people Eva, explain to us what is the 2030 project what are, what are they trying to do so if you if you go to uh, the un and you google um 2030 agenda, you'll see that they have all of these goals, the sustainable development goals is what they call them. And they sound, again, you'll see very noble. You know, it's uh, gender equality, it's net zero. Uh, if we have to fight climate change, we have to fight inequality or uh, all of these things that sound great. But then you have to think about, okay, but how do we reach those goals? And their answer to it is always a, a globalist basically communist uh, policy that, that you have nothing to say about. And so again, it's this, I would say it's, that's their tactic. They, they give you a noble sounding goal and they give you the answer. And the answer is always that you have to give up your rights. So I would just urge everyone mm. to go online and look at these goals to see and think, okay, let's turn what they say around 180 degrees because then you have the truth. Yeah. And, you know, it's so interesting because even here in the state. So, I mean, these are elite elitist elites um, who think they are, you know, they ha- kind of have a God complex where they think they can, you know, manage the world. And then the rest of us will, as they say, own nothing and we'll just all be happy living under their, you know, their their global rules. Um, I, I, 
I've seen that they've infiltrated and they actually have um, many people funding this into even like like community, like county boards here in the United States where we think we have so much local control. And, and Sean and I always talk about the importance of you know, people getting involved in a local level, but they know that about the United States and they've actually infiltrated with these groups into, you know, even little towns and county boards. And so whenever you hear things, these are some buzzwords and I heard you saying them, Ava, and I thought, you know, I want to leave people with some thoughts about this, of what they can do. And I also want to ask you after this, what Americans can do to support the farmers, um, the Dutch farmers. But here are some buzzwords that you mentioned. I'm going to add a couple more. So global governance, net zero emissions, smart growth, climate change, climate emergency, uh, COVID emergency, stakeholders, sustainability, sustainable growth, inclusion, diversity, or anytime they say they want you to reimagine anything, your antennas should be going up. And you may be hearing about this in your little town board, you know, county board meeting or your town hall meeting. And all of a sudden, you know, that's that's a funded group from all of these, you know, uh, different, you know, Soros and, and WEF. And they have all these different names that they come under and they fund these groups and try to organize. So just as you said, you think that these are this is coming organically from the community, but this is actually coming from these um, very globalist organizations. And again, it sounds kind of conspiratorial, but I think everyone's getting after COVID that that's not the case. So the, the Dutch farmers, Ava, have said that they sort of emulated the Canadian truckers in the way that they're protesting. What can Americans do? Because a lot of Americans did support the Canadian truckers and their efforts. What can Americans do to support the farmers there? Oh, yeah, that, that would be so great. Well, first of all, I know that the Dutch farmers feel very supported by just positive messages about them on social media, sharing their content, sharing their protests and, and recognizing that this is an international fight. So because here, honestly, at home, the way that the Dutch media, mainstream media talks about the farmers, our prime minister, how condescending he speaks of them. You know, these people, if they would look just at our national media, they think that they would be standing completely alone. So just your help and having people like me on or anyone else who talks about this is already a great help. So thank you so, so very much for that. And then if you want to help them, for example, financially, there is a group called uh, farmers Defense Force. Uh, they are they are receiving donations now because they they will need it because the police comes after them and finds them. For example, the moment they block a road, so they will need some some money to help against the legal fees and the legal fines that they are going to be receiving because the Dutch state's cracking down on them real hard. So it's a it's it's a it's a matter of buying them time because what the government's hoping is that they'll at some point. Uh, give out under the pressure that they're putting on them uh, financially and also forcefully with the violence that they are able to use against them. So I would say go to a group like Farmers Defense Force and see what you can do for them. Eva, that is, that is, that is wonderful. And listen, we, we appreciate your clarity and your common sense and being a great voice in the States. Again, you've done a fantastic job, just not promoting the, the, the Dutch farmers, but you, you've given a warning sign, not just to us, but to the rest of the world. It doesn't stop here. This can continue in your country. This is a global movement. This is a global effort. So we should all stand together. Those of us who love freedom, who love food, um, yes. and love meat, should stand together to go. We, we all have to push back 
together and fight together to make sure we can beat this globalist movement, which, by the way, and we all know this, comes from a lot of money. Some of the wealthiest people are, are part of this movement that want to take our individual, our personal rights away from us so we can give them to them, the elites, so they can they can manage our lives and our economies uh, and our kids. And um, again, I appreciate all you're doing. You've been a, you've been a wonderful voice. Yeah, I I agree. You're standing not just up for your people, but for your your, as Sean said, a warning to the rest of the world. And by the way, um, a warning sign about these famines that are to come if we allow these globalists to take charge of of farming, something I think farmers probably know a little bit more about. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, like I said, the food supply, controlling the food supply and making people believe that it's not you who caused this, because that's obviously not what they want. They'll say it's uh, an external crisis, like with Ukraine, or it's the climate, or it's something else, you know, but we're here to save you is the most dangerous rhetoric that you can imagine. So this, I, 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 I wouldn't put it past them that they'll come up with the genius QR code system where if food rationings need to be uh, implemented because otherwise we would, there would be violence because everyone, you know, we, we need the supply to be divided equally. Mm. I'm just saying, I'm just mentioning something, you know, that I see yeah. for possible. Yeah. And oh, 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 what, what system should we use for that? Well, Oh, didn't we have those great vaccine passports, digital QR codes that you can scan? Mm-hmm. That's a great mm-hmm. plan. Oh, might use that for this right now. And all it's all for you. We're just trying to keep you safe. We're just trying to make sure that everyone gets food equally because, you know, this is, these are just hard times. I, I'm sorry mm-hmm. if I'm sounding cynical. No, you're not. Like, this is the way that I see these people. No. And I think that this is something they could possibly do. Of so, course, the the so the Chinese social credit score system, being able to surveil and monitor people, their purchases, their movements, all of this are things that these people who run these globalist organizations, like Bill Gates, like uh, Klaus Schwab, um, they admire the Chinese system and openly say so. Um, so did Justin Trudeau and many of the people that have come through this WEF um, system. So, I, listen, you are you are a. Um, a powerful voice. Um, you you've penetrated in a way. You probably it's it's interesting. You know you're all the way over there, and we're trying to get a feel for what's going on in Europe. Um, but we're over here, and I will tell you that your voice. Many people I know know who you are. Um, your voice is penetrating. People are more aware than ever because of the pandemic, and and you should be very proud of yourself for the good work you're doing in helping give a voice to these um, farmers in your country and a warning to the world. Um, You're you're a a really impressive young woman. We're really, really honored that you were joining us today at our kitchen table. Hopefully if you come to the States, we'll just have to have a real cup of coffee instead of a virtual one with you one of these days. Absolutely. Well, I'm engaged to an American, so that is definitely possible. Oh, <laughs> yeah. great! Congratulations. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. And does he have, a, does, he have a nice, does he have an easier last name? <laughs> oh, definitely. Yes. Uh, yeah, you might know him. His name is Will Witt. So W I T T is going to be the name. So <laughs> so, so much easier. easier. <laughs> I'm, but I'm thinking, you know, I, I might just keep my my maiden name to, to just you know make it so hard on all of you guys because it's, it's fun yeah, for me. But thank just you. Just to so, mess well, with well, us. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much for your for your ever so kind words. I really appreciate, it and I really like I said, I really appreciate the opportunity to to come in and talk about these things because it's very important for my people. But I also really feel and care for a country like America that I, I really don't want you guys to go down the same path. You're like someone like Dennis Prager always says, America is the best last hope. And I really truly believe that. So I, uh, 
I'm happy to help where I can. Thank you well, so much, Ava. We appreciate you joining us, us at the kitchen table. Congratulations you. on your engagement as well. Will Witt is a handsome fellow. So um, you two will be <laughs> a, like, a, like a, it, it's, it would be hard to imagine. Just it would be like almost like painfully good looking kids. Um, so uh, oh, anyway. well, <laughs> you guys are definitely well, it's the type of work you do. Being able to as a couple to do this type of work together. That, I mean, that's something that Will and I definitely look to and, and are inspired by. So, oh, I mean, we should you. go on you, a double day. <laughs> I would love that. You, you two will be an amazing powerhouse. Congratulations on all you're doing. Send our love to the people of the Netherlands, especially the farmers. And thanks for joining us at the kitchen table. We'll have more of this conversation after this. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. That was an incredibly fascinating interview, Sean. I also really found it fascinating when when she first started talking about how the government, she felt, wasn't just taking on the farmers because of the climate and and maybe the housing, but that there was something about the spirit and and frankly, the land ownership and probably wealth of the farmers that, you know, they have this independent spirit. And, you know, in any communist revolution, they always have to take out those who are independent minded first, whether it was, you know, the college professors or the merchants, uh, they have to take those people out first. And in the case of the Netherlands, the independent spirit of the farmers is something they're trying to kill. They, they absolutely are. And I thought she laid that out incredibly well. And, and again, if, if you don't need the government for food or housing or health care, you are free and independent of need. You can make decisions that you think are best for your country, your community, and for your family. They don't mm-hmm. like that. That means that means yeah. you have too much power and too much control, and they want to roll that back. I thought it was fascinating when she was talking about the food distribution and how we're going to have equality through food distribution. The government's going to say, we're the ones here. They're going to be able to implement these programs. I couldn't help. We always go back to Ronald Reagan. But when he said the most dangerous words in the English language Yes, I thought of that too, Sean. I'm I'm from the government and I'm here to help. It's like, oh God, oh good gravy. Here we go. Yeah, that's always a problem. (laughs) I I almost brought it up, Sean. I almost brought it up too, because that's so true. And And again, like this, you know, what she's saying about Europe, how they think they're democratic, but actually these other forces are moving and and making decisions for people. And so, yeah, you're going to the ballot box, but all of this is preordained through these, you know, super government, global governance um, uh, entities. And I, I do think it's far more advanced in, in Europe. Um, I think a lot of poor countries are being strong armed into these kinds of decisions. They're being extorted with foreign aid or whatever in order to take on these. Um, you saw so many poor countries that were forced to have, you know, 100 percent vaccination and saw their um, their tourist industries, you know, totally decimated. And they had to do it because, you know, if they wanted the money from, you know, the IMF or the or the or the, you know, or, or health care from the WHO, I mean, being 
forced to do things that aren't in the interest of your country because you're dependent on on these government entities. But that's happening here too, Sean. Well, well, I think it's interesting. Here you had all these European countries that are all self-governed and they had this concept that we were going to be, you know, an EU. It's kind of like all of our states were independent and they formed a national government. And the national government has a lot of control over our states. The EU has a, a lot of control over these European countries, which is what's happening with um, with these mandates that are affecting the farmers. Um, but, I, you know, I, I, I just I, I have a hard time wrapping my head around the people who aren't in the elite, the people who, you know, aren't in power, who are supportive of these policies. And I do think many of them are good people. I think they're misguided. And I don't think they're thinking through the consequences of the policy. I think the people who care about their fellow man, they don't want people to starve to death. They don't want global famine. And they're, and, and they, but they think that they're, they're them addressing the climate crisis, and that's in air quotes, by yeah. these policies is going to make the world a better place. And what they don't realize what they're supporting is taking people's freedom take, uh, away, taking democracy away but also bringing a crisis to, to the world's doorstep um, in people's ability to eat food, um, which is like, I, again, I don't, think they, I don't think they know that. I don't think they're, most people who support these policies are not bad people. They're just misguided. The bad people are the ones um, the at top. the World Economic Forum yeah. who are supporting the policies, who, I mean, these yeah. are the evil men behind the curtain, pulling yeah. strings, getting people oh. to buy into their movement and support their movement. And, and those people have no idea what they actually want to accomplish. Justin Trudeau is a communist. He is a commie. I have no problem saying that on, on this podcast. I will say it on Fox News. He is a communist. We all know his history, by the way, his family's history with, with Castro. Um, we all know, you know, uh, his associations with um, the WEF, but and, and his on the record, you know, admiration for the Chinese um, Communist Party, but also he was a tyrant during that Canadian trucker protest and he showed his colors on that. So, you know, before we go, I really love Sean that you brought up our second amendment and I thought her response was, was spot on and, and, and really interesting, but besides holding on to the second amendment as somebody who's been in Congress, um, who understands how our, our system works, what else can we do or make sure we don't do in order to, make us more American um, and not more European or not more Chinese. Cause as you know, when we went into the pandemic, Sean, you heard me say this a thousand times. I was afraid we were going to come out of this pandemic more Chinese than American. And I sadly have to say, I was right about that. You, you, you were right. And it's sad for our country. It's sad for democracy. I listen, I've had an evolution on the second amendment. If I'm really honest about it, I've always supported gun rights. I've always you know, been a defender of the Second Amendment. But again, I bought into the idea that, you know, it, 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 it's like I want to be able to, you know, have the freedom to fire a firearm. People want to go hunting. Don't take their rights away. Like that was kind of my my young manhood view of the Second Amendment. And I have progressed to the point now where I, I wouldn't I would not vote for any common sense. And I put that in quotes to air quotes, common sense, as the liberals will say, policies to take away any law-abiding citizen's right to, bear, to, 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 to buy or bear a firearm. Because what I've noticed is the liberals, whatever policy you agree to, they, are, they, they don't stop there. Their movement is to take away your guns, to take away the Second Amendment, to make sure you don't have a right to possess and buy a firearm. That's what they want. 
Why would I give them one inch? I'm going right. to preserve every single American's right to, to, to buy a pistol, to buy a rifle, to buy an AR. You have a right, if you're a law-abiding citizen, to bear arms. And again, I never thought of it like this, but you've seen how governments have become tyrannical, how the power that was given to them by the people is now being abused, and they're abusing the people. And the only way people have the ability to keep them at bay is to go, we could be dangerous, leave us alone. Right. I mean, and that's and that's what the founders thought about when they when they put the Second Amendment in place. Um, and if you want to make sure you can silence the people, take away their right to defend themselves. Right. Take their guns away. And if you do, they can't push back at all because the government then has all the weapons, all the tanks, all the equipment. Um, and again, this this I think this sounds a little bit odd and I've never thought like this, but a way it's a balance of power. We yes. have tyrannical people in a tyrannical government that want to do tyrannical things. And that's because, Sean, our founders didn't see people as they wished them. They see them as they are. And human nature is flawed. And, you know, we're not going to be governed by angels all the time, right? There are going right. to be people who are tyrannical. I mean, you just have to be part of any club and know that there are people who just are like that. You give them a tiny bit of power and they just go crazy. I mean, I don't care if you're running the Kiwanis Club or your, you know, your parent, you know, the parent teacher um, association. There are just people who like power. And when you put this, when somebody like that takes over, you know, and nationally, um, you know, people like AOC, people like Justin Trudeau, these are people who want to control other people. They don't take pleasure in you making your own decision for some reason, um, the way their, their psychology is, the way they are, the way they've been indoctrinated in school, they want to control things and they want to control you. And that's just not who we are as Americans. And that is why our founders um, did what they did. Um, I do believe it was divinely inspired. And I do believe it, it's for moments um, like they went through. And I think moments like we're going through. And I think us having guns and being and, and, and boy, do we have, we have guns and we have lots of bullets. Um, in our family. And, and we're in uh, we're in Wisconsin right now. I'm telling you, they they won't even try this in Wisconsin <laughs> because so many people have guns and so many people have bullets. They, they just can't. It's a deterrent, as you said. So I, and you, you asked me a question about what what do we have to do in government? And just, yes. I want to make two two points on that. Number yeah. one, when you look at the Supreme Court, when you have justices that were nominated by Republican presidents, not all of them, but many of them believe that the words have meaning in the Constitution. They're strict constructionists, that, the, that, that this document is our, our set of guiding principles. It's not, a, it's not a living, breathing document that can be changed with the times. No, it is, it, it, is a, it is a crystal clear set of guidelines by which this country is governed. And liberals oftentimes see this as a document for guidance, but you know, it's supposed to have, have air to it and breathe and and change with the times, which is and, why and, they and think they can take the times, away. But change with emotions, right? If they're if we're all emotionally right. upset about what happened in Uvalde, does that mean we change the Constitution, Sean? Does that mean that I, so 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 if I have one bad actor with a gun, does that mean I take law-abiding actors' guns away? That's that's the jump that they make. And so right. that's that that's the, the courts are incredibly important in who's on the court and how they see 
that founding document. That's number one. Number two, right? And when when so when when I came to Congress when Barack Obama was president, I advocated to my fellow Democrats we should take power away from the executive, give it back to the Congress, so we are again a co-equal branch. And by the way, we are not right now a co-equal branch of government. If you can't pass a, a bill, that means the bill is probably not a good bill that all of America, which is all of the Congress, doesn't agree to it. So it shouldn't be done by the executive. If, if the Congress can't pass it, that doesn't mean then the executive does it. That's you're not the way it's executive founded. orders. Is that what you're talking I, about? I'm talking about executive orders, but I'm talking about rules and regulations that come from uh, the agencies of government, both of them. Yes. And yes. so then even when Donald Trump was elected, and I loved his policies, I, I, and you know that I loved his policies, you love them too. He, he made our country better. But I went to Democrats as well and said, we should now at this point, we should take power away from the executive, even though it was a Republican president. And I agreed with what he was doing. I think democracy is healthier when you have an elected co-equal branch of government that's up for election every two years, the House and a third of the Senate up you know, every two years and making them vote on big things that can move the country in directions that can be really good or really bad. That's a positive. It shouldn't be. It sh- these decisions should not be made by unelected bureaucrats in agencies, which is what's happened. And so we have to get back to this balance of power. The Congress that's that's responsive to the people have to be making big moves. It shouldn't be the EPA. It, 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 it you know it shouldn't be other. It shouldn't be the Department of Education. It shouldn't be you know other agencies that are doing bold big things that are affecting our everyday lives. That was supposed to come from the Congress. Let's reclaim that power. And now, am I hopeful that that's gonna happen? I'm not. Um, I'm, Sean, I'm, I'm in, in, order, in order for that to happen, do we have to de-unionize so many of these federal workers who work for the federal government? Because they seem to be, like we, we talked about the deep state. I mean, part of it is was sinister. I believe there was a deep state. But I also think it's just that, you know, you can't fire them. They're going to outlive the politicians. They just have power by virtue of being there for so long. It, it, in terms of breaking down that, you know, taking back some of the, the power from the administrative state, from the agencies, from the regulators, is that about the union protections they have? Or is it that more is job than- one. That, that is job one. Take away union protections. So when our new administration comes in, if, you, if you're not on board for the new administration, you're fired. If you're going to thwart, if you're going to thwart the administration, you're fired. Now, I say that with a caveat. I do think having um, institutional memory in these agencies is a good thing. Yeah. Right. But it's that. not a good thing. Not a good thing if they're thwarting a president who is elected by, you know, the American people and through our system. And then they think that they have more power than the president that was elected and they thwart the ideas of the president. And I can say that sometimes, not very often, you would have conservatives that would thwart Barack Obama. And I was happy with that. But I'm, not, again, but I'm happy with that in an instant. But if I'm looking at good government, you shouldn't have conservatives in the deep state thwarting Barack Obama. And That's you shouldn't right. have people in the deep state thwarting Donald Trump. And you have that all over the map. And as a conservative, virtually 95%, I'm pulling that out of the air, almost all of them are liberals yeah. in government. They I think that's what Obama in. did, too. I think I think it was, they always were probably more liberal, but it seems like people were installed in key in key positions for which they can never be fired um, during the Obama administration. And, I think he grew that and, and, and 
installed a lot of ideological um, allies of his in there. And I think that's that's why there was so much thwarting and coordinated thwarting of what Donald Trump was trying to do. Which is why he couldn't, even though he wanted to, it was so hard for him to change course because the bureaucracy of government wouldn't allow him to do it. It was incredibly challenging. And so the, the next Republican president should be thinking about how am I dealing with the deep state so I can accomplish my objectives and my goals. And in, 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 in the way it's supposed to work is you might go in one direction with one kind of president and you might elect a, the complete opposite and you might go in a completely different direction. But that's what the mm-hmm. people asked for. And, and that's the way our government should work. Those two things, the court's important and the deep state is important. And the deep state is part of this balance of the executive uh, and, the, and the Congress. And the deep state wouldn't be able to do all that they're doing to thwart the Congress if the Congress reclaimed its power. I hope that makes sense. Oh, God, it sure does. I, I'm, I'm glad you, you're, we're going to leave this podcast with some hopefulness. First of all, I, I think, you know, having Eva come in and talk about what's happening, I think information is power. The more we know, the more we know we're not crazy, um, the more we take seriously what they're, what they're telling us. If you just do a little bit of a dive into your social media and look up people like Klaus Schwab, Bill Gates, look at what the WEF is standing for, what the UN is doing with their 2030 project, all of agenda, all of these things are things that you can get more informed in and and you can, you know, listen to those buzzwords that we talked about, sustainability, net zero emissions, reimagining inclusivity, smart growth, sustainability, stakeholders, all of these buzzwords that you'll hear in your in your own town meetings. You know, the more you know, the better. And then as Sean said, um, as you said, Sean, I think um, looking at this from from what we can do through elections to put in people who, you know, still believe in 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 the way the way our founders envisioned our our country and, and all of us getting more familiar with our own constitution and our own rights and our own really rich, amazing tradition. I mean, Sean, weren't you really struck by when when Ava was talking that she you can tell She's somebody who, you know, I know she's marrying an American, but you can tell even beyond that, um, she's meant to be an American. She has that American 1776 spirit. Um, and, and you realize what we have that they don't have in Europe. No, you're, you're 100% right. And um, the, the, she's one of the immigrants. Open arms. Come on in, Ava. Come on We'd in, love to have you. Ava. You, 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 you'll make the country a better place yeah for sure um yeah. No, no doubt she will listen. A, a i think it was a fascinating conversation too, by the way a more beautiful place her and will witt boy what an amazing gorgeous couple they're gonna make um and and make a difference in in the conservative movement here in the united states because they they definitely understand and appreciate our heritage um and our liberty minded founders mm-hmm. so on that note sean um what a great discussion i i i could keep going um but uh we're I, gonna have I, to leave I, it I, here and come back around to the kitchen table next week i know you could this was uh this was your topic today that you picked and i love it it was it it was it was it was great and i enjoyed the conversation and if you like the podcast you can uh rate review subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcast we would ask you to do that uh we enjoy uh chatting with you twice a week and um sharing the conversations we have around our our kitchen table with you so thank you for joining us and until next time um we'll see you later all right bye everybody
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. Subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.